0: I'm Pastor Colin with the Lathian Bible Fellowship. Thanks for checking out our channel. Today's sermon is about discernment in regard to the broad scope of sexuality that God has made good in humanity. So like and subscribe if you want more content like that, or if you think it's valuable for your friends, go ahead and share it. Thank you for viewing, and I hope it finds you beneficial. All right. So, if you didn't pick up on it from our little prayer there, it's sex month. Um, I thought about a hook, you know, at the beginning, but I was like, nah, kind of sex sells itself, right? Which is why we need to take a good look at our discernment in regard to sex. The Wikipedia definition of sexuality goes something like this. Human sexuality is the way people experience and express themselves sexually. This involves biological, erotic, physical, emotional, social, or spiritual feelings and behaviors. It's a wide gamut there, you might notice. involves self-perception in a biological, physical sense, right? Perceiving and accepting your set hardware. We're just going to start there and get that out of the way, right? Penis, vagina, that's how it is. Um, this is fact, though some suppress this knowledge. And we're going to approach this this month <clears throat> um, assuming a true biblical worldview here. Um, Obviously, there's lots of people in our culture that don't agree with that, but we are a community of believers, and so that's our presumption from the beginning, and that's how we're going to address things. Um, Adam gets to teach on identity through gender and sexuality in August, so we're not, we're going to try not to tread there too much, but um, it's very much a going all over the place. Um, But the sexuality definition, according to Wikipedia, then also includes emotional and even spiritual feelings and behaviors. So our sexuality is not just physical, but it is a holistic part of self. And as such, we need to get our sexuality under control, right? Just as anything, if we're going to accurately display the fruit of the Spirit, we need to have self-control and a real understanding and appropriate handling of that. We have a real problem right, with sexual sin today. And as if it hadn't already been enough of an issue, now we have the internet, a platform of opportunity for that type of sin specifically. And what do people tend to use opportunity for? Just finding new ways to sin, right, as the scripture says. So what do you think you'll find if you search webmd.com, their search bar for sexuality, Lots of interesting stuff, right? Probably not according to the biblical worldview, right? But the first thing, first search result that I came up with on that was the tagline is want to begin an affair. Top five best 2020 cheating sites. WebMD.com. That's crazy. That's just crazy. That's where we're at here. Our society has elevated sex to the top of the priority list. Everything else is permitted to fall to the wayside in pursuit of lust, it seems, in many circles. <clears throat> um, and certain by, certainly by corporate America, apparently. Or corporate internet. I don't know what that looks like. But um, we want to pursue lust in that. Sex sells and everybody's buying that propaganda in many ways. But have we actually elevated sex? Has it become more significant to us? Does it have more value? Not at all, right? Not at all when you're following these types of things. In fact, sex is regarded as more arbitrary and ultimately meaningless more than ever. Uh, It's whatever we want it to be, casual or serious, variable or consistent, uh, recreational or professional, like a good game of tennis or rugby, you know, however you want to play it. We must... We may lust after sex more than ever as a culture and a society and a world, um, but we don't love it anymore. Ironically, we are moving toward a lowered view of sexuality, where something has lo- when something has lost its significance, and meaning it loses respect. Right? Procreation and sex can be prevented through birth birth control. Pregnancy can be chi- can be achieved without sex. So when even just the basic biological nature of sex is able to be subverted, we're not by nature necessarily invested and committed in that so much anymore. So we already are having an uphill battle in terms of our worldview according to sex or in line with God's created nature of sex. When universal expectations and accountability diminish, then nobody cares in a meaningful sense about sexuality, right, and the true nature of that. It's no longer valued as a foundation of life, even though that's literally what it is, but it's something recreational. And something recreational is also disposable. Something decided by mere preference is subject to deference, to putting aside. But we don't defer to God anymore as a society, but to society's direction. Um, God doesn't have a low view of human sexuality, though. It's not A negative thing is, in fact, the exact opposite. God has the highest view of sexuality of all. He made sexuality to be good in nature and with purpose to build stable families, largely to govern our lives according to sexuality, if you take it in its real, holistic, honest sense. And it serves as a profound channel to know God better. It's good in many dimensions, so we should also embrace a high view of our sexuality and not sell it short. Instead, treat it appropriately and be able to meditate on these things and how our lives look and how we respond to that. So as we're talking about you know, the family and building stable families, <clears throat> it's for procreation and unity, right? Those are some of the best things about sex in general. Like, those are some of the main functions of it. And to get it out of the way, you know, first of all, God meant sex to be good in all dimensions, right? Even a subjective one. Like, sex could be boring, but it's not. It's pleasurable. Like, it could just be something that we do, um, like any other basic animal, or just by necessity. Like, you just do things that you have to do to survive. But God didn't make it that way. He made it pleasurable, and that's for a reason, because... That's why God's design, for it to be good across the board and for us to be able to have the ability to handle that in submission to him. But beyond that, sex is significant because it's an ability that God has given us to create something eternal. Like on the procreation side of thing, it's really interesting, the significance of that, right? Have you ever thought about that? That, you know, in this world, we can't create anything that will last forever except each other with God's help, right? Zechariah chapter 12 verse 1 says, this message concerning the fate of Israel came from the Lord. This message is from the Lord who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundations of the earth, and formed the human spirit. God creates the soul, but he allows us to partner with him in creation. You could even say that God has chosen to submit his will to us in this but he also gave the command on the other side of that he gave the command for us to be partners with him to be fruitful and multiply as genesis 1 says so um, for those who are infertile or any of the many other possible you know reasons besides just straight up you know chromosomally or whatever um does that mean that that's not true for those people? For those with hormonal issues or same-sex attraction, for those with really any sort of sexual dysfunction, any sort of, you know, something off in sexuality, does that decrease the value that a person was made by God's image in sexuality? Is sexuality created by design as a good system? Yeah, it is. Now, does God ever operate on utilitarian means? You know, things just by usefulness, things get its value whether it works or not? No, not really. He has a design for something, and things carry with it a nature, right? And those things carry consequence, because we are made in the image of God. God is in us in that way, and so we are like him. And so even if something doesn't quite work right with us, it still carries that same meaning, same significance to us. And that's why these things are significant to us. But it also should work in our favor if we're being faithful to God, because God doesn't operate on utilitarian means like that. Um, Do you lose your value because you sin? No. In fact, God redeems you from that sin. He corrects that, right, to match your value that you have created in God's image. Because of sin, you may have a difficult or broken part of your sexuality even, um, but there is plenty left to bring glory to God and to appreciate as good and to have faith that God will redeem that, partially in this life even maybe, and certainly um, in the next in terms of making our sexuality complete. Sex without ability to make babies still has a good created nature. It brings a marriage relationship closer. Um, It solidifies and supports it, right? Hormones are a part of God's design for healthy relationships. Um, They're also a hilarious part of design as we're trying to figure that out in our teenage years. They are all a part of sexuality, not just testosterone and estrogen, The ones that drive sex acts primarily, you know, but also the other ones that are involved with our sexuality too, but not what we would think of as sex proper. Um, Like oxytocin and vasopressin, those hormonal pathways which set us up for attachment. Those things are found um, heavy presence in, in activities like sex, but also breastfeeding and childbirth. Things that are involved in our sexuality in terms of male and female and how God created the functions of all those things, but not in sex, because sexuality is bigger than what we often try to think of it as, as this one-dimensional view of sex, you know, just this physical situation. And all of those things, sex and breastfeeding and childbirth, are all incredibly powerful attachment. Um, processes, right? They all create incredible attachments between people to the point of sacrificing life and limb, right? What about dopamine even? We get dopamine from a lot of things, but it makes us feel good. It promotes sexual and general attraction, not just between two people that are attracted to each other sexually, but even between friends and good relationships and stuff. It is a hormone of attraction, of reward. Spending time with loved ones activates dopamine, even if that is like platonic or a familial relationship. These all work together to create a healthy marriage, for example, but also healthy relationships just between male and female people. We shouldn't devalue these kinds of things, we should think about how that works in our life and seek to honor God's design for our sexuality in that holistic sense to create attachment between adults and between adults and kids and between sexes and all those things. Um, And to be able to appreciate it when we feel reward for having a stable and loving relationship or a stable loving family and understanding God's role and his biological design for us in that. It's really kind of amazing and cool and powerful, those feelings a lot of times. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, the classic old school, Adam knew his wife Eve. Right? The Hebrew word for knew is exactly what it sounds like. It means to know somebody, to be like acquainted with somebody, to understand them, to understand something. But it's also a euphemism for sex, because appropriately, sex is appropriately meant for holistic intimacy for knowing a person completely, right? That's not a coincidence. It's not, it's not just to get around saying like a bad word or whatever. The Bible is not very shy when it comes to sexuality. But this is real. Like, it is an avenue to know people better. And yes, in that we're talking about a marriage partner. But through our sexuality, it's a huge part of who we are and it's something that we should always um, think about and take into account as we're knowing and understanding people. Being driven only by sexual arousal but not attachment, you know, by, by testosterone and, and estrogen but not the other ones that I forget, vasopressin and oxytocin. Um, only driven by sexual arousal but not attachment has interesting consequences for our mind. According to a Harvard article, um, testosterone and estrogen appear to turn off regions in our brain that regulate critical thinking and self-awareness and rational behavior, including parts of the prefrontal cortex, you know, like higher thinking. That's really interesting when it comes to, you know, seeing somebody that's like head over heels or whatever and they're just like in love or whatever. in hardcore infatuation and possibly lusting over another person. People do dumb things and then you add alcohol on top of that add a bad situation and now you get all sorts of bad choices, right? That's how those things work. Everything's working against us when we don't go by God's worldview and come with a holistic view of sex. In short, pure lust makes us foolish. Allowing ourselves to think narrowly about sex is really harmful and sinful, generally, and our sexuality is much more broad than that, and so we should give rightful honor to that. God sets up our lives to be directed by sex in general, um, to be holistic in general and not just this one-dimensional of physical attraction. Like, for example, uh, do you relate to males differently than females? regardless of if you are a male or a female. Do you relate to males differently than females? Does each sex bring patterns of strength and weaknesses? Of course. I think everybody knows that. Yes, our sexuality governs our lives. Sex proper should not govern us, but our sexuality should, and we should view it as that, something that is created good by God's nature, not something to hide from, but something to control and direct and grow in a wide sense. Um, Yeah, our sexuality should govern us, not that sex should govern it. Um, This truth causes great harm when we suppress it, when we do allow sex proper to govern us. And this truth, when it's embraced, gives us great benefits in our life, rewarding attachments, right, and gets us lots of that dopamine in a positive way that God fully endorses. From birth, how do we relate to a new slug of a person, Evan? What do you got? Still in slug stage. Um, through their sexuality, right? What did we just find out the other day? We have a girl coming, and everybody's really excited about that. We don't even know what this person looks like, we don't know anything about them. We're already relating to them by sex. It's good. It is exciting. And just that gives us an idea of what our relationship will be like, right? And so we should allow ourselves to intentfully govern that relationship, even starting now. So go out and buy your baby clothes and whatever. We immediately give, we immediately have direction and distinction to guide that person, that person that is only a person by the image of God and by nothing they've grown into because they are basically a slug still. but an adorable slug, because God has designed us to attach to them. The apostles, they gave a decent amount of gender-specific direction. We're not going to go into all the details of that, but just throwing out some stuff, you know, 1 Peter 3, 1 Timothy 2 and 3, 1 Corinthians 11, and plenty more. It's definitely in those three books because they're the first books, and so they're the most important because they have this gender distinction thing, right? It's not true, but Interesting coincidence. First Peter, First Timothy, First Corinthians. Many books, many, many books, have been written on roles based on sexuality, people that take this material that we know from God's teaching and then expound upon it, get life application and so on and so forth. Because our sexuality is good, and it is not something to just view of as something to fight or to suppress or whatever, but to direct in positive directions. Understanding it and embracing it moves us toward good, toward better relationships with one another, more appropriate relationships with one another, and more significant relationships with one another. Do you ever reach a point in a relationship with a kid, or even a peer, where you don't know what to talk about? You know, or uh, maybe it's an awkward car ride or something like that. Consider, this is going to sound weird, but consider sexuality and all the distinctions that it encompasses, because it's not sex proper. It's not, hey, how's puberty going? You know, although it could be, it could be, and that's significant, and probably, honestly, if you ask that question, the person that you're talking to has maybe only heard it from a couple people before, and it will probably be a significant good life experience at the end of the day. Or you know, what about if you don't know what to teach a person? Consider sexuality and all the distinctions that that encompasses. We need mentorship in context of sexuality. How to be a man or woman of God. This is incredibly important, and it's a distinction that God lays out as the first thing that we know about a person. Even before we had ultrasounds and things like that, baby comes out, that's the first thing you know about them, is whether they're going to be a man or a woman. And so it's our responsibility to make them a man or woman of God. And this <clears throat> we're to address address and mentor them with the struggles that come with that. Many people struggle with sin in regard to homosexuality, but God's good design and formula are creation, even within that person and whatever has drawn them to that, whether that be a partial, you know, some sort of trauma, or if there is, you know, whatever arguably like partial genetic component for a tendency to be this way or that way. It doesn't really matter. God's good design is still in that, even if it's not active in that person at that moment, and they've chosen to try to figure out something else or whatever. There are lots of powerful stories of people who are confused or don't feel aligned with their biological sex, but they repent of sin and choose to trust God's design for them because they come to that place of, A softness of heart enough to where they understand that this is a basic part of our design and they actually do honestly follow the conclusion of that and decide to trust God. Not that they believe God based on their feelings or even really with most of their brain, but they have figured out that what they're trying in life isn't really working. There's something that's wrong in their heart about that and this and they have decided to put their faith in God's design, the apparent biological design, and it ends up working out in a lot of cases. Many people never feel 100% normal, but they find truth and reward and spiritual progress and purity in those things, in that pursuit, in trusting God, and it gets better and better and better, just like anything else, you know? When we struggle with it and we're faithful to God, we understand that His design is good for us and that pursuit of those things is positive. Um, It often turns out that homosexuality wasn't as strong as people say. Um, And this applies for any other form of sexual difficulty that people have. It's not that things will be perfect. We don't live in a perfect world. This is a fallen world and we're part of that, unfortunately. But following God's design is not only livable but joyful, no matter what struggles that encompasses. That doesn't mean that there isn't difficulty and sadness in that too, but livable and joyful long-term is what we're looking for in the body of Christ. And sometimes that means abstinence and singleness, and we'll get to that later in the month. But um, these choices are not easy to make. They're not easy to advise, right? But our trust and hope are in the word of God. First Peter 1.3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. First Peter is all about our hope and our inheritance. and We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. We live based on hope in the life to come, not based on the ease or difficulty of struggles right now and how our sexuality seems to fit with what we're feeling, whether that is a struggle, you know, with lust, or with um, a lack of willingness to do this, that, or the other thing, or in our relationships, or in a marriage relationship, or lack of a marriage relationship, like all these things, none of this ultimately should have a weight on how we decide to go about things, right? Because our hope is not on this life, and God promises to protect us and keep us until it's time, and so we need to seek to understand God's design for us and submit for that and have faith that that is going to play itself out. And honestly, if it takes several years for that to play itself out and start bearing fruit, that's kind of the status quo. Anytime anybody's ever had a significant issue, doesn't matter what it is, you know, it takes years to resolve those kinds of things. And sexuality is no exception. And so as we try to figure out ourselves and we advise other people, like we have to know that this is a long term process and it requires faith and it requires understanding and appreciating God's good design for us in our complete sexuality, not just sex, but in looking at the whole picture and how we can move positively in all these directions. And when it is time for us to go home to God, he's kept us until that time and it's time. At that time, sexuality is going to be not taken away, but fulfilled in that. Not in the proper sense of sex, because that's too narrow, but it's going to be fulfilled. And that's something that we can take hope in, and we can share that hope with others. Matthew twenty-two thirty, Jesus says, For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they'll be like the angels in heaven. Why? Why will there not be people marrying or being given in marriage? Because we're the bride of Christ, right? We only have one bride when we come into complete relationship with God, where we only have one husband. But sexuality, does that go away? And it exists in fullness. It's that much a part of God's plan that it exists after our bodies are destroyed and renewed, perfect, and going to be eternal. It's that much a part of his plan. Did Jesus have a changed body after his resurrection? It was changed in, in nature. It was a perfect resurrected body, but it was still his body. Luke twenty four thirty nine. Jesus says, you can see that it's really me as his apostles are questioning him and, you know, watching him eat food, and they're, like, in disbelief. It was him. It was his recognizable male body. He wasn't some transformed, like, you know, crazy, shining figure that nobody could lay eyes upon or something like that. He was Jesus. And that's how it is, the same person. He was still a full-blown man and continues to be to this day. Sexuality will forever be used in a relationship with God. It's used to represent the relationship between us and Jesus and the Father. You know, there's a reason why God presents him as having an identity in sexuality, in being sexed, in male versus female, husband versus bride, so on and so forth. If our marriage creates attachment, what about with God? You know, God uses sexuality to relate to us. Ephesians chapter four, verse one, Paul says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God, always be humble and gentle, be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there's one body, and one spirit. Just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future, there's one God, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father in all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Here Paul calls the church to unity, but through what? Through our Father, you know? Not untouchable God on high, but Father. Through a relationship of parental, and sexual identity in that. Not, he doesn't call us um, like Atman, you know, a Hindu god of being uniform everything, you know, not the gnosis, a revelation of understanding, not Allah, an unreachable, powerful, impersonal god, but Yahweh, the father of all, who is who he is, and he is father to us. through his son, Jesus Christ, sexual in nature, if you're looking at the holistic of it, like the familial father-son identity in that. And then he gives his son to be the husband of another, to form a family, to form the church. All these things are significant and positive, and we should think about these in our life. Yeah, and then Christ, you know, or the Father adopted us into his family. We are to respond. We're to respond, as Paul says, with faith and baptism, aka commitment in our relationship to the Father, right? And also to respond to each other in love. That's what he says in that passage, to be attached and bonded to one another, united in the word that he used, with patience and gentility, to stay united To maintain that relationship, to respond appropriately to one another in submission. Why is this? Because God has shown us what it looks like to take on a fatherly role. God has shown us what it looks like to take on a fatherly role, a role that's not bound by time or space. God even presents himself as having motherly qualities too. He gives us even examples of that a little bit. Isaiah 66, 13 says, I will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. Or Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Now, these things, you know, it's not, it's by far God presents himself as a father and as male, but the point is that these tendencies of our sexualized nature help us to understand the different roles, the different actions that we're supposed to have in our relationships with people that God wants with us and that we should therefore give to other people as we represent God. Inaccurate sexuality and emphasis and understanding. In Matthew 23 there, Jesus, yeah, he laments that the leadership didn't care for its people as God wanted, showing them what God's family looks like. So when we engage each other according to the bigger picture of sexuality in attachment with the care of a mother and a father, we reflect God's order and his image. Ephesians 4.4, for there is one body and one spirit, from that same passage, four, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future one body and one spirit just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future in revelation 19:6 we see <clears throat> this it says then again then i heard again what sounded like a shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder praise the lord for the lord our god the almighty reigns Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself. See, our sexuality gives us a tangible picture of our relationship with the father as children relate to parents and also as a wife relates to the husband in daily life and in the glory of wedding day. Not just in one-dimensional sex, but in the entire holistic sense of it in the glory of that wedding day, as we look forward to that eternal hope through the example of our sexuality set and framed by God himself. Beginning to end. Speaking of beginning, you know, Revelation was at the end, but at the beginning, Genesis 127, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. I just want to highlight that being front and center is always a big deal in the Bible. And this sermon in a nutshell is about the big deal that sexuality is to God. And so we should make it something significant to understand and wrap our minds around and to have good direction and balance and understanding in. Being front and center is always a big deal. It's front and center in the Bible, as I just read, it's even front and center in Talladega Nights, right? If you ain't first, you're last. And in the end, it does indeed end up being a big deal. Our sexuality is fundamentally good, from God's first design to his last known plans for us. Also, it's fallen on a fundamental level that we'll explore a little bit more later. Eve allowed her blind lust to determine what was good, it wasn't lust for another man it was lust outside of God not through his will but she had blind lust she got too excited about that fruit and about that knowledge and it deactivated the other reasonable centers of her brain she didn't have a holistic view of following God in that way Satan is using sex in a big way to divide us from God. And we often stray one way or another. You know, that sex is the ultimate good to be basically worshipped. Bruno Mars has a song, Locked Out of Heaven. Um, it's pretty much about that. The line in that is, your sex takes me to paradise. And he is very much referring to heaven. Like he is putting sex in the position of God. He ain't the only one, though. Or the other side of things. Sexuality is bad and tempting and evil. Save the little sliver of content called marriage. Context, sorry. Save the little sliver of context of sexuality called marriage. We want to expand our working definition of sexuality as the body of Christ, as we're explained in a sexualized context of how to have good and healthy, appropriate relationships that stretch into eternity, maintaining our created sexuality. In Matthew 12, when Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? When somebody asked and said, hey, your family's outside, you know? He says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he points to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and these are my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Was he lowering the view of his family in this? No. He was at the view of family to an eternal level. He honored his mother. You know, he did right by his family. But in that moment, Christ was making a point that family is beyond our little biological unit that our familial relations... And therefore, our our sexuality in that, it's eternal. He made sexuality to be good in eternal nature and with purpose to build stable families, to help govern our lives in all sorts of aspects, govern our lives to holiness, not to sin, and serve as a profound channel to know God better on earth and to grasp our hope and our relationship with God when we go to be with God. That wraps up the sermon for today. I'm going to go through our questions, but what we're going to do is we are going to have a couple things like communion and some presentations, and then we're going to go through the questions again and do cell groups. So, what areas of life can you recognize the goodness of our natural sexuality? How can you better teach and mentor Holistic sexuality as opposed to just appropriate sex? And what is encouraging to your life about the sexed nature of our relationship with Jesus Christ into eternity as bride and groom? Okay. So, now it is, forgive me, I forget which thing, I believe it is communion. So go ahead and get your communion stuff ready. If you're at home, go ahead and figure out something if you haven't already to honor God with and remember what he's done for us. And then we'll meet back here in a couple minutes when we're ready.